Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we dare not come without praying and asking the spirit who inspired the word to guide our minds and understanding as we seek to study it. Lord, this particular topic is unique because many of us are young people, are individuals without a lot of power politically, positionally, and yet we may be required by being faithful to you to speak truth to power. So we invite your spirit to bless us with this, be in our thoughts and be in our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So for our uh, session, this is going to be our structure, um, as is typical for those of you who've been here. We'll introduce another Bible study method today, which will be the interpretive journey for this session, one of my favorites. Then we will give you time to practice that. Um, this one, we expect probably a lot of questions in applying it, kind of anticipated. This one is definitely more aggressive, often used by theologians. If you ever read a theological paper or a book or a dissertation, they probably follow a similar method. And then we'll give our insights utilizing that method, and then we'll do five questions in five minutes, and then we will close. Now, for those of you also who don't know, we have a Q&A, so you can submit your questions. Scan this QR code, go to that website, and you can enter your questions throughout the entire seminar. Eventually, Kelly, who will be our resident filterer person, We'll make sure that, you know, no crazy questions gets through. People start saying, like, why are you so tall? I thought that you were a better preacher than this. What happened? Um, so in this very sense, you can submit those questions, scan this QR code, go to that website. We will show it again at the end. But we just want to let you know so you can get your questions in and they can get through for approval. So that's sort of the structure for today. And we're going to go ahead and jump in to our Bible study method. So I hope you're ready to take notes, pay attention, and apply. All right, so for this session, we're gonna talk about the interpretive journey. For those of you who are visual learners like myself, here is a picture to keep in mind. There will not be a quiz at the end. It's okay if you forget what this looks like. But the basic idea here is that we're on different sides of the situation. There's different things going on. This is us over here in modern land. <laughs> this is here in the Bible. And so there's things that separate us, but there's things that there are as a principle that comes across. So we're gonna walk through that just a little bit. So our first question we want to ask is, what did this text mean to the biblical audience? Always and forever, they are the first audience, right? Because they're the ones that were, that was, that was that time. And so we're all important, you know, Jesus loves us, but we were not the first audience of whatever this story is. And so we need to first ask, what did it mean to the biblical audience? And so now Sebastian will show us an example of that in the text. So we're going to walk through these steps back and forth. So Cal will introduce it, and then I'll walk us through the text. So if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 29. John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 29. When you're there, if you could say amen, I would appreciate it. We all there? John 1, 29, we together? The lunch hit you? It's a little hard. It's like, wasn't really that great, actually. So John 1, 29, the Bible says... The next day, John saw who? Who did he see? Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, 
the Lamb of God, which takes away the what? Sin of the world. Now, this first question is, what did it mean to the biblical audience? There's two types of biblical audiences. How many? Two. The first one is the one experiencing the event. John was an actual person. Jesus was an actual person who was actually walking to him, and he actually said it out loud. And there are people who heard him. Then there's the audience who was reading the Gospel of John when John actually wrote it for them. Are you following? So when we talk about what did it mean to the biblical audience, we have to say, what did it mean to John and Jesus and all the people who were actually at the event? It's just like when we talk about what happened at the first GYC. Well, if you were there, it's different than someone talking to you about on a documentary, right? Two different audiences. So in the same sense, we have that audience, and then we have John recorded this story, which is not found in any other gospel, by the way, for a very specific audience. So the question is, what did it mean to the biblical audience? So I'm from Chicago, and I've never, ever heard a human being walk up to another human being and call them a lamb. And it was a positive thing, right? So we say, well, if you're stealing from someone or you got led into a trap or a beatdown, we're like, yeah, you got led as a lamb to the slaughter. But no one ever said, behold, the lamb of God, let alone a lamb at all. And why would God have a lamb? Is God a shepherd? Does he own sheep? And he's a human being, right? So being called an animal, if we try to interpret this text, like when I first came into the church as an atheist, I was a little confused. You come in, people waving their hands, oh, Lamb of God. You're like, what is happening? Like, the Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God. I love the holy Lamb of God. You do, huh? Okay. What's so special? I'm from the city. I don't know anything about lambs. I never even seen a lamb. Except, you know, in curry goat, you know, Jamaican food, we cook lamb, you know. So... For the biblical audience, this is what they're connecting with. It's not what we are in 2023. So we got to say, what did it mean to them? So in essence, when they heard the Lamb of God, what would a Jew be thinking if they heard the word Lamb? A sacrifice, right? A temple. And what happened with that sacrifice? So you would come and bring the lamb, but a lamb was a specific kind of sacrifice in Leviticus. So this sin offering, and then it says this lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Do you know animals that take away sins from the entire world? So clearly they recognize this to the biblical audience. Jesus was a human representation of the sanctuary symbol that had been in their culture for thousands of years. That's what he was saying. Every lamb you brought that took away sins in the Old Testament, he is actually not a lamb. He is the lamb of God. But when you brought a lamb, what did you have to bring? What kind of lamb? Could it be broken? So what, what kind? Unblemished. Young. First year. Spring of life and it had to be male. And some offerings were actually female. But that's a discussion for another time. So to wrap this up, so we can move to the next step. For the biblical audience, a lamb was your substitute. 
But in order to provide a substitute, that substitute had to have something you didn't. Perfection. You were a sinner, so you brought a lamb that was young, that was innocent, and without spot and without blemish. It had to be then your best lamb. So to say that it was the lamb of God, what they're saying to, their, to the biblical audience is, Jesus is God's best. He is heaven's best. Because in the Old Testament, when you sinned, who brought the lamb? The sinner. But the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of who? Which tells you when the world sins, it costs God his best. Are you following? That's what they understood. When John said, behold the lamb of God. We don't have an unblemished person to offer. God does. And if he's going to offer, it has to be his very best. And there was no one greater than Jesus. And that's who John was saying Jesus was. And that's what it meant to the biblical audience. I haven't even preached the sermon yet. That's just what it meant to them. So this particular method of Bible study is let's understand it in their world first. And then we move to the next step. What are the similarities and differences between us? So what are the similarities and differences? So number one, uh, what are some similarities between us and the biblical audience that I just described? Can you give me some similarities between us and them? Well, actually, let's start with differences. Those are usually easier for people to identify. What are some differences? It's all right. Don't be shy. Huh? The time in Earth's history, right? True. In cultural difference, right? Any Israeli people here? Maybe some. Okay, any other differences? How about a very obvious one? Yes. We don't bring lambs, right? You don't deal with lambs often, do you? Okay, most of us do not. So that's a huge difference. Do you have a building where you go to get forgiveness from? You don't. Huge difference as well. And you don't have a sanctuary system that you're used to practicing. So these differences are important to note. But the other thing is, what are the similarities between us and the biblical audience? We are both sinners, right? Same God. We both have nothing to offer of our own. They didn't have a lamb to bring that was unblemished, and we don't. And the other similarity is Jesus is the same to both of us. He takes away their sin, and he takes away our sin. Amen? All right, next question. What is the biblical principle? What is the biblical principle? You heard me talk about this in a Q&A. So what is the biblical principle? We said a principle is something that is true. That is what? True. Listen to me carefully. For those of you who are not here for that. Something that is true for all creatures in all places at all times. That is a biblical principle. 
This is why we focus on similarities and differences. Because you can't find a principle in the differences. See, some people say it's bad to live in the city, right? That's funny, because when we go to heaven, we're going to move into what? The New Jerusalem, which is a city. So clearly cities ain't all bad, right? It's about the righteousness in the city. Amen? So when you go to New Jerusalem, the walls are transparent gold. But some people are like, well, cities are terrible. Really? That's funny. Why, is, why am I? Abraham was looking for a city, not the country. He was looking for a city. Is that not what Hebrews 11 says? Whose builder and maker was God. So the problem is not the city, but who built the city. Are you following? So when we talk about the differences, we can get caught up not recognizing these differences guide us away from extreme fanatical interpretations of Scripture. The similarities is where we find the principle. We're both sinners. God is still God in both of our lives. We both have nothing to offer, and we need a substitute which we cannot provide. That is the same, which is why it is called the eternal gospel. Because it has always been true for all creatures in all times, in all places. So that biblical principle is you do not have a substitute. But let's get to a deeper principle. When you sin, God loses. I'm going to say that again. When you sin, God loses his best. So you may think you go to your room, you lie to your mom, you got angry at your brother. No harm, no foul. You just watch pornography alone in your room. You did something you should not have done. You're thinking these angry, jealous thoughts in your mind. When you sin, it costs God his very best. That's the principle. When, it, when Adam sinned, did it cost God? Yes or no? Yes, it did. When Moses sinned, did it cost God? Yes, it did. Another 40 years before he could deliver his people. Another 40 years for you to do, fulfill your purpose. So in this biblical principle, this is where we identify the crux, that journalistic, this is the story. This is the thing that's transcended beyond the situation. What other texts illustrate, teach, or apply this principle? Ah, I love this one. What other texts illustrate, teach, or apply this principle? These three words. So when we talk about when you sin, someone else loses. Can you think of any other texts in the Bible that show that? Someone sinned, but someone else lost. Can you think of a story like that? Huh? Yeah, in the Bible. Someone sinned, but someone else lost because of their sin. Huh? David, right? So he sinned, and who lost? Bathsheba and Uriah, right? Lost his life. And guess who else lost? His general who executed it lost respect for David and trust. And how do you think he felt about the man who was after God's own heart then? And the family. So what about when, when Amnon raped Tamar? 
See, he sinned, but Tamar lost something. So you, you understand that when we sin, someone else loses. This is why the heart of sin is selfishness, because it means I, in order for me to have, you must lose. But the problem is, by doing that to people, you're ultimately telling God, I don't mind if you lose. But when God loses things, he loses the best of things, because all he has are the best of things. So we have stories and texts and principles that illustrate this very simple principle. When you sin, God loses. But also we have the principle of you cannot supply a substitute, right? So remember when Abraham went to go offer Isaac and God stopped him and what did he say? I will provide myself a lamb. There's one stuck in the thicket. Did Abraham cause that? He did not supply it. So in each of these scenarios, that principle, again, comes back to life in terms of, okay, this is illustrating the text. This is showcasing it. So grappling with that principle, you know that it's a principle because you should easily find it and identify it in other parts of the Bible. That's the critical part. If you can't find it somewhere else, you probably haven't found a principle. You hear what I just said? If you cannot find it anywhere else, you have not found a biblical principle. It's going to be illustrated there because the Bible is inspired by one mind. And God likes to repeat himself. All right, let's go forward. Time to practice. So now you are going to try to apply this to Daniel chapter 5, which is about, as we have titled it, faithfulness in danger, speaking truth to power. So again, we could sit here and obviously wax eloquent on Daniel chapter 5, but as you know, for those of you who've been joining us consistently, this is a hands-on. So what we want you to take out your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 5, and we want you to attempt to approach this text with these steps in mind. What did it mean to the biblical audience? So when Belshazzar is celebrating with the vessels, what did it mean that he was doing that, drinking out of them? What did it mean when there was a hand? What did it mean that God wrote on this wall? What are the similarities and differences between us? What is the biblical principle and what other texts illustrate, teach, or apply this principle? You may not get through all of them, but don't worry about that. Thank you, Kelly. Do not worry about it. We want you to focus solely, mainly on just trying to go step by step. These do build off of each other, so you can't skip around. If you don't do the first two steps, you can't get to the biblical principle just by looking at the verse. That's dangerous interpretation. You're going to arrive at heresy and then people got to find you and then I got to speak sermons about your false teachings. And that becomes a stressful relationship between you and me. So in, in this very sense, make sure you follow them in order sequentially. This is the only method that requires that because they build upon each other to the very end. Okay, so let's go and get started. 
Go ahead. I'll say, last thing is that little link at the bottom again is if you have questions, we'll be, Sebastian, I'll be walking around. Feel free to grab us, but also just feel free to submit questions there and we'll spend the last. All right. So we are going to <laughs> pause you for a second. I know some of you just joined us and are just kind of getting warmed up with this particular method of Bible study. And now we're going to go to a part where Callie and I are just going to talk about applying this method to Daniel 5, some of the insights that we can derive from Daniel 5 using this method of Bible study. And again, our whole goal here is not just to give you a lecture, but to show you how we would arrive at the principles that we arrive at. How did we arrive at that particular sermon? How did you arrive at that particular insight? So each session, for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been teaching a different Bible study method and how that can bring out a specific message about faithfulness. So here we're dealing with faithfulness in danger and still being faithful when you're speaking truth to power. So that's sort of the idea. So now we're going to talk about some insights and go from there. All right, so I'll share one, um, then we'll maybe go back and forth. Is sure, sure. Where's, where's your Bible? Do you have a Bible? Oh, I was, oh, okay. I was loaning okay. it to <laughs> okay, a young sorry. brother. It's all right. <laughs> So first, I just want to do a little bit of a list of thinking about Daniel himself. So like, what are some differences and similarities between me and, and Daniel, just on a large scale? And we'll talk closely about one of the details. So differences, well, he was a captive. I am not. There's that. Uh, he was called before a king. I've never been called before a king. Never have before in my life. Uh, he was called to deliver a message of imminent destruction to a king. Also never happened to me. But some similarities are I am known in my circles as somebody who is connected to God. I am called to share hard truths with people sometimes, right to their face when they ask. And sometimes I'm asked directly what God says about something that is very difficult to answer. And so in this story, Belshazzar asks Daniel what is happening and, Dave, and Daniel answers, now I don't know what's going on in Daniel's heart and mind, so this is maybe where the differences are, but I think <laughs> about myself of like, I'm called to, to tell people hard truths. I've never been called to say, by the way, your entire kingdom's going to crumble tonight. Just thought you should know. Mm. But I have been asked some very difficult questions of what does the Bible say about this, knowing this person will walk away as soon as I answer their question. I have been asked, I mean, this is like the hardest thing for me, <laughs> maybe this is me, but I've been asked by somebody who is incredibly difficult to work with at my job, hey, I got this really low review. Do you have any thoughts on why I got such a low review? <sighs> I wish I had time to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right, those, it's not, it's not the same, but it is the same. I am called to do things that are difficult. I'm called to tell the truth when it's hard to tell the truth. I'm called to tell people about themselves when God is like, I need you to say this. And I'm like, but it's uncomfortable. Mm. And so those are differences and similarities between us. So that principle, that biblical principle is I need to share what God tells me to share. Amen. That is true for all people in all places, in all circumstances, in all times. Places we see that, I mean, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, Jesus talking to anyone, let's just be honest, Jesus talking to anyone. <laughs> it's true. Even him talking to potential followers, Jesus, I want to come after you. Foxes have holes, all right? So yep. just head on back down home. <laughs> Jonah being called to Nineveh, 
John the Baptist speaking to Herod, Paul talking to Nero. These are all examples, this principle of you need to share what God has asked you to share, even in the face of power. And all of those stories have different endings. Mm-hmm. Talk to because them. true Christian principle does not stop to a consequences. People who follow God do what is right because it is right. Consequences be what they are. That's right. And so that principle of sharing what God tells you to share can be found throughout Scripture, but can also be found right here. Go ahead. Amen. Go ahead and preach, girl. Like. So... What did this mean to the biblical audience? Who was Belshazzar to Daniel? He was a king. He was second in command. So he's essentially Kamala Harris, right? He's the vice president. Let's just say that. So it's like, all right, he's basically the vice president. And I'm not saying she's Belshazzar, so let's just be very clear. Get that on the record. I'm not comparing the vice president. Exactly. I'm not going into any politics. But in terms of power, he's not just a vice president. That's even not a fair comparison because he's a king. A king is Supreme Court, Congress, and president in one person. I make the laws. I enforce the laws. And I also lead the country. And I have executive powers. I can actually change the laws whenever I feel like it to suit my vision and goal. So to Daniel, this story is about a king, a leader, a person with immense amounts of power who has lost his way. He is thought because God has not speedily responded to his disrespect and lack of reverence that he could get even more brazen. Isn't that true in our lives? The Bible says because the execution for an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are set in them to do evil. If every time somebody watched pornography, they drop dead from a heart attack, how long do you think people would watch it? People be, they'd be avoiding the screen like Medusa. Don't look. Because <laughs> if every time you lied, your tongue turned to ash the first time. What happened to him? And we start putting it together. Oh, he lied. But because God doesn't punish you right away, you become more bold. Every major criminal and evil person who got into power in the history of the world and the church is because somewhere along the way, accountability was lost. You delayed consequence. So when you look in your life, why is it that certain sins persist in your life? Because the consequence doesn't come to you immediately. It's the truth. And so one principle that stands out to me from this story, from Belshazzar's experience is I also have power. And how do I respond when I do things clearly God is not pleased with, but I'm not punished for it right away? Do I become more bold or do I say, great is your faithfulness? Morning by morning. Do I say your mercies are new today because I've abused my power? He grabbed 
the vessels from the holy sanctuary to drink, party, call the strippers to participate too. Drinking out of the cups that God were made holy. This is the level of disrespect, right? This is what people say, right? The disrespect. And the brother said, y'all, bring them all in. Concubines, everything. Then when the hand appeared on the wall, the Bible says his loins were loosed. You know what that means? Brother soiled his robe, okay? A little, little bit leaked out. Knees was knocking. He's like, maybe, maybe it was something in the barbecue I ate, whatever, but bubble guts, he was not feeling good. And all of a sudden, he's like, wait, what, what happened? We need to call Daniel. So this leads me to the second principle, and this one, it, I'm going to warn you, it's about to step on your toes, and I'm really sorry. But as Callie just preached to us, I, I have to tell you what I'm supposed to tell you. We all have people in our lives that have power over us. We all do. People who can offer us gifts. I want you to look with me in Daniel 5, verse 17. Notice what he says here. Daniel 5, verse 17. Belshazzar said, if anybody can interpret this handwriting on the wall, I will make you the third ruler in the kingdom. Give you all these gifts. Notice what Daniel says. Then Daniel answered and said before the who? The king, let thy gifts be to what? To yourself. That's what he said. Let your gifts be to yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will do what? Read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. We all have people in our lives that have power over us. And when those people have power over us, and God has clearly told us the truth, are we still willing to be faithful in that moment? Well, let me make this a little closer to home. See, for some of you as young people, you're afraid of your parents. And you're afraid to speak truth to the power of your parents. You and I both know some of our parents are perpetual line steppers. They don't respect boundaries. But you refuse to say to your mom or your dad, listen, this is a hard no for me. God called me to go be a missionary. I'm going. Well, if you go. Don't expect any payment for your tuition. You know what you should say? Let your gifts be to yourself. Yeah, we're going to go there. Well, if you're going to go join that ministry, you don't have a place to stay. Let your gifts be to yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. When you're sitting at a church board meeting and you know they're talking about some craziness about an individual, they should not be. But we sit down quiet. I don't want because the pastor is the pastor, right? The first elder... Those people have power. And you stay quiet in the board meeting. When Daniel says, biblical faithfulness speaks truth to power. 
before the king. Let your gifts be to yourself, but I will still interpret the writing to you. Some of us need to let some people know they crossed the line at the board meeting. Some of us need to go home to our boss. And it's like, well, you need to work this weekend. We agreed that I would not be working on the weekend. Well, this and this came up. Either do this or get another job. Let your gifts be to yourself. But because they hold my job in their hands, I can't be faithful. I'm going to tell you a true story. A young lady came to me. I'm not going to say where I was preaching. She was an exotic dancer. You know what I mean by exotic dancer. We got some kids in here. So I'm trying to, trying to keep it above board. And she said, Brother Sebastian, I'm not sure whether I should go to work tonight. She has two kids. She's like, but I make over $2,000 in one night. When if I go to these other jobs, you might make 80, 150. So it's hard for me not to go. I got to pay my rent. I got two little kids. And she said, I don't know what to do. I said, very simple what to do. Don't go. That's not a hard decision. Well, but what about this? Sister, tell your boss, tell whoever you need to let know you won't be coming. Yeah, but what about the money? God has a thousand what? Ways. And it doesn't mean a thousand ways as ideas. It's a thousand ways that will work. I need you to hear what I just said. A thousand ways that will work. So she doesn't go to work the next morning. When did I say? The next morning. This woman was at church. I was preaching, doing a series at this church. She showed up the next morning before the deacon even unlocked the door. Because she was like, I know Brother Sebastian's coming. I have to tell him this testimony. Open the door. I get to the church. She says, you will not believe it. I'm like, of course I will believe it. But you can go ahead and tell me. I told my boss, I'm not coming in. He's like, well, I'll make sure you got like the back of the club the next time and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to send you all the little roughneck people. Starts threatening, right? You don't show up tonight. She said, let your gifts be to yourself. I'm staying home with my kids. I'm done with this. He said, what, you found God or something? She said, actually, (laughs) she opens her bank account to try to figure out how much money she's going to be short on her rent. She looks in her bank account, finds $2,000. Don't know where it came from. Don't know who transferred it. I'm like, yes, you do. You say his name. Jesus is his name. Because he owned a cattle on a thousand hills. Someone logged in at Bank of America, was like, oh, for some reason, I need to transfer $2,000 to this bank account. And again, speaking truth to power, Babylon fell, but Daniel continued. Did you hear what I just said? So why are we afraid to speak truth to power? Then? You don't have to be afraid. You're trying to start a little youth movement. There's always going to be an elder. There's always going to be a pastor. There's always going to be church members bucking against you. 
let your gifts be to you. You can't use our Adventist campground unless, da, da, okay, let your gifts be to yourself. We'll hold our meeting somewhere else. Truth to power. And that principle, that interpretive journey, leads you right to that place to say, who are the people that have power in my life and what truth do I need to speak to them to be faithful? I'm done. Are you done? I'm done. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know if that was like a dramatic pause. Or <laughs> Amen. All right. So for our last few minutes together, we'll answer a few of y'all's questions. Thanks so much for sending them in. So first, Sebastian, who is the biblical audience of Daniel chapter five? Great question. Thank you. So the first biblical audience of Daniel chapter five is obviously Belshazzar, his mom, the concubines, all those people, the Lord's governors he's got in there, plus Daniel himself and God, obviously, because there was a handwriting on the wall. So clearly, God was also watching. Now, the other biblical audience is when Daniel wrote his book, he's writing to Jews where? In captivity. Right? The book of Daniel was not written before Babylonian captivity, obviously. So when he wrote this book, these are individuals who are either currently in captivity or by the time they read the book, they're coming out of captivity. And guess what the recurring thing starts being? Be faithful in whatever country you are in. And ultimately, he won the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar, which is what he brought up to Belshazzar. So that's the, those are the two biblical audiences. Is there any difference studying the Bible using your phone or tablet versus the real Bible based <laughs> on your experience? Right, I'm going to start this before you get on your, you know, sure. your soapbox. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? Let me get some water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would say the first thing is study your Bible in whatever form it is. I think this is also an issue sometimes where people even do about like translations. We're like NIV, not inspired version. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to need you to come all the way down. <laughs> right. So I think True. we also need to just chill with that, the hierarchy of things. Like if you read the Bible on that, that is read the Bible. Amen. We love reading the Bible. Consume it. If you can't always have a, a physical book with you, but you really study a lot more what's on your phone, take your phone. Read your Bible in the grocery line, on the train, everywhere. Amen. Amen. Now that said, for me personally, because it asked your experience, so I'll share my experience. <laughs> um, I personally struggle with having very deep study with a phone and a tablet. A couple reasons. One, there's notifications on there. Also, the browser for the internet is very, very close by. <laughs> to just look up that one thing I was wondering about that one movie I watched like five years ago, but I just wonder what happened at the end. That happens when you're having devotions. It just comes into your head. So it's easier when all of that is far away from me, <laughs> and I just have a book. That's all I have in front of me. Mm. Um, another thing, too, is spatially it's very helpful, where I'll be like, that verse is in the top left of the page. Somewhere in Luke. I guess True. we're just going to look through all the pages of Luke in the top left, and I'm going to find it. Amen. So there is that, that spatial experience as well. So I think we need to balance that again, right, is go for what is best for sure, but also don't look down on yourself or other people who do it differently because we need to consume the Word of God. You can have a beautiful leather-bound Bible on your shelf while someone else is memorizing on their phone. So, mm. Go ahead talk to them. Okay. That's good. You good? Yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. All right. That was good. Sebastian, you're actually, your name's in this one. <laughs> I didn't, it, says, it says Sebastian. 
Sebastian mentioned he uses a different method for devotions. Can you please discuss the difference of what you do differently for devotions versus your personal Bible study time? I see. Um, so typically, uh, this is probably from the previous session. Yeah, I, I think, think it I was. mentioned yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, so for those of you who may not have been here in previous session, I mentioned how my Bible study time is separate from my devotional time. So it doesn't mean I don't read the Bible in my devotional time, it's just not my time for study. When I'm taking time for devotion, the word devotion means, obviously, the process of devoting yourself to God. It is a time of consecration, which is why Ellen White says you should consecrate yourself in the morning, first thing, right? So that's what devotion is about, consecration, not about intellectual insights into the Bible. You can learn a lot, but you never took the time to consecrate yourself to God. You're basically telling them, I'm yours. My whole day is yours. My schedule is yours. All my plans, you can throw them in the trash if you want. You can disrupt my day based on what I plan. I'll still rejoice and be happy. But because we're not having devotion, when our day gets disrupted, we upset. Because we think by reading the Bible, coming out with a couple insights, that means my day is going to go exactly according to my agenda. Because I'm God. Wait, are you? And you know what? You know how you find out you're not? Your day don't go according to plan. <laughs> and you wonder why your day didn't go according to plan. God's like, I need to remind you, I'm God. You see, Jesus sometimes in our day is like, look at me. I'm the captain. <laughs> Some people understand what I'm talking about. I'm the captain. So devotional time is about me telling Jesus, you're the captain. So I read portions of the Bible that relate to my actual experience of everyday life. So right now, I'm going through the Holy Spirit. That's what I focus on devotionally. But when it's time for me to study all these methods, I utilize them to dig deeper into the Bible. And that's where you get into the insights. Like, for example, here in Daniel 5, what you may miss progressively is in Daniel 2, God gave a dream and the wise men couldn't interpret it because he couldn't tell them the dream. Right? Then you come to Daniel 7. <laughs> now, this is interesting. So the wise men, they can't, they're like, tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. No, I, I'm not buying that. Then you go to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar remembers the dream, but they still can't interpret it. Now, God's like, I'm going to write it on the wall. So you don't have to tell it to you. Everybody can see it, and you still can interpret the dream. Do you see the progression there? See, that's what you learn from Bible study. That's not my devotional time. My devotional time is not, oh, that's a powerful insight in the book of Daniel, blah, 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 blah. No, my devotional time is, Jesus, I need you on December 27th or 28th, which is today. I need you yesterday, too. <laughs> you can, like, clean up my history. That'd be great. <laughs> but yes. December 28th, I need you today for four seminars, meetings, booth time, individuals who are going to ask me questions. I need your wisdom. That's what my devotional time is for. And I just read, reflect, pray, bring my prayer list, sing songs, and that's my time to devote myself and to worship Jesus. And that's our time. <laughs> Would you all please join us and stand. stand as we pray together? Heavenly Father, 
there are some people in our lives that have power positionally, personally, emotionally, spiritually in our lives. And it's hard for us to tell them the truth. But Daniel shows us that faithfulness does not fold in the presence of political power. It doesn't fold in the presence of parental power. It doesn't fold in the presence of spiritual power. It doesn't fold in the presence of positional power. So God, as we leave this room, may we leave with two things. First, with a way that we can dig into the word of God and study the book that testifies of Jesus. But secondly, with the courage and the bravery to speak truth even when powerful people are offering gifts or punishment in response to sway us away from faithfulness to God. Lord, this is our prayer. And there is no better preparation for the end of days and the final events of earth's history than to learn and submit to this truth. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. This message was recorded in partnership with AudioBurst, the GYC conference, but if not, in Portland, Oregon. GYC is a supportive ministry of the Seventh Adventist Church and seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.